the same is sure. Paul says, is an old man, and he's in prison. He's bound in chains of iron for the name of Jesus Christ. And he's looking ahead to the day of his martyrdom, and he's looking back on his ministry. And he holds tight to what he knows is stronger than any chain of iron. The saying is short. Maybe he's quoting a fragment of a song of praise that they're used to singing in one of the churches he's planted all around the Roman Empire. Or maybe he's making up these lines himself in the moment. But either way, he knows that the saying is short. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Paul needs to hold these lines close as he looks ahead to what awaits him. Words about suffering with Jesus and words about a glorious reward that awaits. And then he moves on and the parallelism of the poetry leads him on. Two lines about the promise of reward and then something about the consequences of failure. If we deny him, he will deny us, Paul writes. And if we are faithless, and here we should be able to guess what's coming, probably he will be faithless to us, right? But now comes the surprise. If we are faithless, Paul writes, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Here's the contradiction. It's as if everything changes in the middle of just one line. It's as if Paul starts with reward and is ready to move to punishment, but he just can't make himself stay there. The effervescence, the joy of God's love, wells up and overflows in him. He tries to get to punishment, but he just can't commit. And I imagine Paul in his cell dictating to a faithful secretary, starting the line, maybe expecting himself to follow through with the parallelism. Yes, if we deny him, he denies us. If we're faithless to him, and then something else just comes out of his mouth. He remains faithful because he just cannot deny himself. And we are Jesus's self. We're so deeply connected to God and Jesus that we're part of him. When we are baptized, we are grafted into Jesus's body. And his love for us surges through every cell of that body and just can't let us go. What kind of God is this who holds on so tight to us, even if we are faithless? Well, it's the same God that we meet in the story of the prodigal son that we heard not long ago. The story of a God who showers an inheritance on a beloved child and then watches as that child goes off, rejects his love, squanders the inheritance, and just waits with such eager yearning, ready to welcome back the child, lavish feasting the minute he gets back with his sight. This isn't a God who cares a lot about dignity. 
to the God who gives gifts freely and who isn't concerned with his son performing good behavior, just with the son's presence, child in whom he takes delight. I think we need to hear that yearning in Jesus's voice today. As we hear him ask so wistfully, longingly, weren't 10 lepers here? And did just one come back to give thanks and praise to God? It's so easy to come to this story shaped by our culture and our experiences and hear it as a kind of moralistic fable about saying thank you as an example of good behavior. Maybe we were taught to write thank you notes when we were children for gifts that didn't particularly excite us <laughs> or for gifts that did excite us so much that we'd rather be playing with a toy than sitting down with a pen and paper. And thank you notes are a good thing. And it is good and right to teach children to be polite and considerate. But this is not a fable about our need to write a thank you note to God. This is not a little lesson that's meant to teach us that when God gives you something, you had better say the right prayer of gratitude or God will not be in the mood to give it to you next time. <laughs> this is a story of God's overflowing love that depends not on our merits and our behavior, but just on the fact that we are God's children and God delights to bless us. All 10 of the lepers are here. The gift is given without strings. Jesus does not yank back the healing from the other nine, who after all are actually just doing what he told them to do, which is to go and show themselves to the priests. They are using the gift. But one, this Samaritan foreigner, does find something else happening inside him. He finds that that overflowing love of God that has been lavished on him is welling up in him with an answering desire of his own. He wants to give something back. And he has nothing to give back and nothing that God needs, so all he can give and all he needs to give is praise, is thanks, is an answering blessing to the God that to the blessing that God has given you. Now that answering love is what we were creating for. The Samaritan has begun to be fully human. The great Russian Orthodox theologian Alexander Schneemann wrote that human beings were created to be the priests of all of creation. We were created to be the priests of creation. And what a priest does is to do something sacred on behalf of others. We are part of everything that God has made, but our unique vocation as human beings is to take it all and offer it back to God in thanksgiving. That is part of what we're doing today in the blessing of animals. Now, Julia and I and our kids share our home with a small preacher named Caleb. 
Haley is a calico cat, 15 years old. And she is a good cat and much beloved by us, although very cantankerous with visitors. And I think that she loves us in the way of loving that is proper to a cat. <laughs> she shows this love in some ways. She can curl up with us and her. She can meow at us conversationally and sometimes chirp. She can butt her head against us for a pat. And she can ask in her own way very insistently to be fed. <laughs> These are behaviors that are appropriate to a cat. But there are things that Kaylee can't do. One is give thanks, at least not on her own, at least not with words. A cat doesn't have language. It takes a human being to articulate what the rest of creation cannot to give words of thanks on behalf of the sun and the moon, the land and the seas, the plants and the animals. And so in that way, perhaps we are the priests of creation. And that is what we do every Sunday, in a, in a way. And what we'll do in a few minutes once again when we offer a Eucharist, which in Greek simply means Thanksgiving. The Eucharistic prayer is called in our prayer book the Great Thanksgiving. We are created to be Eucharistic creators. And as Father Schmelon points out, none of us succeeds. There are ways in which all of us, like Adam and Eve, fall away from our priestly power. But in Jesus, God has done what we could not. Jesus has become the first of all of us, the first human to be fully Eucharistic. His birth, his life, his healings, his eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, his faithful willingness to undergo suffering and death, his resurrection, his ascension, all of it is an offering to God, an offering of thanksgiving, an offering of blessing. His whole life is one mighty offering into which you and I are gathered. We are part of him and we are part of his thanksgiving. And in him, we begin to offer our own lives as thanksgiving. And there are times when we stumble and times when we fall away. But even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny so and so. And if we let it, his abundant life in us will overflow in ways that we can not even imagine. But it will transform how we live, how we treat our fellow children of God, how we treat our siblings, the animals and plants, the air and the water, how we spend our money, how we use our time, who we understand ourselves to be. Here. 